Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanna Colbert, and you're listening to The Casting Session. I decided to create this podcast out of a desire to help actors feel more confident in their audition. This podcast is an inside look at filmmaking through the perspective of casting. In these interviews, I'm going to provide you with in-depth, enlightening, fun conversations with the industry's top casting directors, actors, directors, and producers. We're going to cover a range of topics like the audition process and the role casting plays in the collaboration with directors and the overall craft of casting. Basically, we're giving you a behind the scenes look into the casting process. So without further ado, I bring you the casting session. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, my dear friend, Debbie Zane, who I have known for so long. And she is the most incredible casting director with a resume that just goes on and on and on with films like American Beauty and the Ocean Eleven series, Hunger Games series, Mulan. She's worked with such esteemed directors. And I have so much love and respect for you, Debbie, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you very much. So, Debbie Zane, I'm doing this podcast because I really want to demystify, if you will, the audition process for actors and help actors in any way that we can. We're in quarantine and we're being creative as we can with our limited resources. So I decided to start this podcast and just want to talk about the audition. So is it acting? Is it separate from acting? Uh, how can we help actors and demystify it? It's interesting. I was sort of thinking that we would be talking about, you know, modern day auditions. You know, there used to be like a specific category, you know, like commercial casting was always sort of a thing, which it is, I guess, then television or film casting. But now I feel like Zoom casting, which is what we've been doing, we are typically having either casting sessions on Zoom or people will do a self-tape and then send it in. And typically what been happening because it's all very new is that we might then either invite that person to come meet us on a Zoom or come for a callback on the Zoom. And one of the things about Zoom acting, which is what I'll call it, as everybody will know who has ever been on a Zoom, is there's that weird delay. There's like a wee delay. It's it's not as bad as other formats, I think, but I think the main thing that I think this time in our lives is demanding of producers and directors is to be even more imaginative and even more creative because you're just going to have to at some point take a little bit more of a leap with someone since you cannot be with them in the room. And maybe the quality of the audition when you're watching it back wasn't exactly right because of the pacing or because someone's sound dropped out for that word. And it's, you know, it can be very frustrating for directors and producers, but it's what it is. So you got to make it work when, when you get to the set. That's how I feel. Can you give us an example of how actors can be more creative under the circumstances? Well, I think that actors have tended to do this in my experience so far during coronavirus, which is you have to really know the material. And you're not like, you know, filming it in a casting office only because this is like kind of it. So I would say, obviously, make sure that you have the right lighting and the right backdrop. And I'm noticing that people really are, you know, people have invested in a backdrop or they've painted a wall in their home just so they know what it's the best it can possibly look and sound. And does prepared for you mean memorization? 
I think so. Although I noticed that some people are very clever. I've noticed this in the past as well. And I can I tell some people sometimes they'll tape to the edges of their computer. They might tape sides. And that I think is okay too. If there's like a long monologue and you want to just be able to glance at it, who cares about that, you know? But I mean, in a way it's like, somehow when you're in person, this is less likely to happen. But I noticed on Zoom readings, if I'm reading with someone and, you know, overlapping can be a nightmare because of sound. And that is a problem because a lot of scripts call for overlapping. And so that I find to be unfortunate. But, um, and, and also I feel like sometimes what I find myself doing, because you know how your, your screen will light up when we're doing a recorded thing. Sometimes like my, the person talking is like, uh, has a yellow border or something. So I, but if I'm talking and I, and I see that my border didn't light up, I'm like, oh, my sound on, you know, but I sometimes wait like this tiniest beat if I can, but if it doesn't ruin the scene to make sure that their sound is going to be done and then my sound will be on. You know what I mean? It's definitely not as good. And I don't think it's going to be back in person the way we used to like it, maybe until next year. Right, right. So we have to make the best of it, actors. Um, I interviewed Rich Mento and he said, like, try to just look at the silver lining of it. If you're doing a self-tape, you ha you can do a million takes. And instead of being angry about it, you know, embrace it. If you can't fix it, feature it. So do you have a favorite casting story, so to speak, or any auditions that are memorable? One of them is Wes Bentley from American Beauty. Well, Wes will usually tell people about me, but so the Wes Bentley story is that he was with William Morris. He wasn't like nobody, but he was filming a movie in Arkansas that I want to say was called White River Kid. I want to say Arnie Glimcher was directing it, who's like the art dealer. Anyway, so when his agent at the time was calling me about him for that part when I was casting, uh, but he wasn't in town and we weren't videotaping. So I kept saying to her, but he, I said, listen, it's okay. When he comes to town, I will see him. And I think I saw 72 actors before Wes came in for that part. And I'm talking about name an actor in that age range who is a star today. Like everybody read for that part, okay? There's no one that you could name that didn't come in for that part. And he came in, and again, it was a little bit late in the game, but he came in. And this was back when I would sit at my desk and just read opposite the desk with somebody. We weren't standing up because we weren't taping anything, right? So he had two scenes to read. And we read the first scene. And what I'm going to tell you is 72 readings later, it was the first time I understood the scene. When he read the scene, I finally understood the scene. I was so overwhelmed by him. I was kind of like verklempt. And I said to him, okay, listen. You got to come back and we don't even have to do the second scene because you, you'll come back and read it for the director. And I go, but wait, you're here. Let's just do the second scene. Let's just get it. Let's just do it because you prepared. So we like kind of rehearsed the second scene. And then he came back and he, he was really the guy to beat. Like after he came back, we were still doing mixing and matching with, with girls who were, by the way, all the girls that were down to the wire are also seriously working actresses today. So when he came back and we did sort of chemistry reads with the girls, he was the only guy. And there were like maybe two or three girls for this part. And and to this day, he'll be like, and he always wondered. Who am I up against? Yes, yes, yes. And the other story is um, Amy Adams in Catch Me If You Can. 
she was scheduled to audition for the part that she got on 9-11. So the morning of 9-11, we all started calling each other and I called, we called her, we called Leanne Cornell. She was with Leanne Cornell at the time. And we told Leanne, don't come. We're not going to the office. Don't send her in today. So like a week later, she came in. We were all, you know, everyone was still very tender. And I mean, she's so incredibly lovable. And I just loved her so much. And, um, you know, my daughter's name is Amy. And Amy was like a literally three months old or something when Amy Adams came in. So I told her about Amy. And then she did such an amazing audition. I put the audition on a VHS tape messengered it over to Spielberg and I ran out at lunchtime to get more videotapes from the place in Hollywood. So I'm like doing an errand at lunchtime. And he called me on my car phone. Remember the car phone, which is like literally like a briefcase in your car with a hand thing. You don't, you can't take it out of the car. And um, he's like, I love her. Can I have her come in? So uh, she and I went, I want to say like the, the day or two later, we were in his office. And um, she was amazing. It's from the days when we could be in the room with people. And it was truly the most favorite part of being a casting director is working things out in the room. And frankly, I think over the years, because as you pointed out, I've been doing this for a while. Once technology entered the process and we were able to do recordings and send recordings to directors. I mean, I remember spending a day with actors auditioning and then spending into the wee hours editing that or transferring that footage from my camera into a VHS tape and then having someone run to FedEx, finding the last FedEx departure in the city to get what's something out before nine o'clock. Sometimes my assistant would go to the airport just to get the FedEx. So as soon as directors stopped having to be in the room, it really like gave us an opportunity in the room to really make that time a workshop and a laboratory there was an actress who was who became much more well known and uh i had her come in for a small part in american beauty and we had just started videotaping okay like i didn't even use the videotape for the first half of casting american beauty but then sam got busy he was very resistant to it so Towards the end, the the smaller parts that we were left to cast, we ended up doing them on tape. And this actress came in and she flubbed her way through, again, it was a small part, a short scene, but she could not get it out for nine takes. I said to her, who cares? We are showing them one take. Like I said, there's only going to be one take in the movie. So I don't care. You don't, get to, you don't get to leave until we get a take, you know? And then she relaxed and we got a take and she got the part. And then literally she went on to have a very big career. But that I love about being in the room, you know? I mean, the flip side of that is if you if it's definitely never going to happen, you can also say thank you so much. And then that's it. But if you know that it's in there and you're going to get it, time is on your side. So that story illustrates a lot of different things that I think could be helpful for the audience. One is we're on your side. We want you to do well. If it's nine takes, okay. You know, we can't always do that, but we will if we can. To that end, though, you know, this sort of should go without saying, but you really must come prepared. You know, like someone used to say, auditioning is your job. When you get a job, that's just the fun part. I love that, Debbie. I used to say to actors, you should come in and act like 
for these 10 or 15 minutes, I actually have this part. This is my part. And I'm going to show you me in this part. Do you know what I mean? So if you come in and you're really prepared, I don't know if I can speak for every casting person, obviously, but casting people really respect that. And you shouldn't really get the bum's rush if you have prepared. I remember this, again, here's a story. Um, an actor came in, I want to say this is for a series regular on a, on a show that, was, that ran for a few seasons. And, and he apparently read first in LA, which is where I had taped him. And then I think he went to, was in New York for a callback, which is where the show shot and where everybody was. So he went in person in New York and then the note he received was like, it's still, they still didn't give him the part. And he had this note of like, this is the worst note you can ever give someone. Like, it needs to be edgier. Like, what does that even, no one even knows what that means. So he was back in LA and they asked him to come back in for me and he was pissed off. You know, I could tell when he showed up that it was like, he felt very much like, what do you need? Like, what do they need? You know? So when he walked in, he said, if you say the word edgy, to me, I said, I'm not going to say the word. Okay. So I'm not going to say it. So the scene was, uh, he was playing a director and he had to be a really sort of not only pompous and egotistical, but very short with people like really a superior attitude. Right. So in the scene, he is rehearsing an actress and an actor. And so they're in front of him with their material. They're just rehearsing and he's basically watching. And then she says a line wrong or doesn't get the meaning of the line. And he loses his patience with her. And so my associate and I were standing, the camera's like right here and we have him standing really just pretty close to us, but right. So he can just be watching us and he's watching us and we do it. And I'm playing the part of the actress and I mess up the line and he gets really pissed off and we do a take and I go, and I like the light bulb goes off in my head. So I have my sides and I do the line. And I said, when I mess up, I want you to snatch the side out of my hand and I want you to hold it right this and say, da, 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 da. what does this mean? And I want you to like really, you know, th which was the scene. It was this, it was the writing. I gave him the permission to, you know what I mean? To come to me and really humiliate me, grab it out of my hand. I'm a fucking idiot. Spell it out for me. You know what I mean? Like condescending. Yeah. And he got the part and I'm so Ooh. happy. <laughs> I just love like when I get those light bulb moments and that happens, it happens more when you're in person. It's hard like this, but we'll do it until we can do it again. We'll do it. We'll make the best of it. We'll grab any silver linings we can and just know that it will return. Right. Right. We have to have faith. And help each other. Yeah. And help each other. Have you ever had to take an actor to do something physically, like a haircut or a, a new outfit or? Oh, yes. Yes. So someone had to be very like starving, basically, in the scene. And I, in the scene, give her something to eat. Uh, anyway, this, this actress came in and she was all was quite tidy and clean and but she's supposed to be have, have been living out in the woods for a while. And um, obviously, like I was in love, I fell in love with her. And I said, okay, here's the deal. You're gonna come back for the director. You have to be not this clean because you've been living in the woods and I will bring you a snack and you have to, you know, so we go to the director's office the next week 
and she's like got dirt on her face. She's all like red. She's got like dirt and everything. And I stopped at like Ralph's and picked up little like slices of bread that you would use for appetizers. And I gave her some bread and she gobbled it up. It was, it was like, you had to do it. We had to do it. I'm a huge prop lady, by the way. I am notoriously prop lady. You like to give props? I will stop at the supermarket on my way in. I have so many stories of actors getting the parts because I gave them real food. Stop it. No, seriously. Robin Weigert, she also had to play somebody who was hadn't eaten in a long time. And it's a scene with George Clooney and I'm playing the George Clooney part. And she is, you know, like also wildly inventive and she came totally ready, but she didn't have anything to eat. And we were like, dang it, why don't we think of this? We always think of this. And we found this like six month old burrito that we mildly like warmed it up and she gobbled it up. Cause I really think that acting with food, if you can really stay in the moment and not choke and all that, it just sells it. That's great. Don't choke actors. I'll tell you another story. This is another amazing story, which will really tell you that we are on your side. So this is a lead in a movie, okay? And um, this actor came in and he had three scenes to do. He had just had a baby, his uh, wife, and he was so tired. And so he was scheduled pretty, you know, we, we sort of waited for him to kind of get his self back together. And so he finally came in on a day when there was nobody else, you know, coming in. And we do the first two scenes and it's great. It's going great. And I love this actor and it's going great. He has one more scene to do. And he says, I didn't prepare that last scene. I just couldn't. I just didn't have time. I was too tired. I said, here's the problem. This particular producer, I mean, I understand. And I would say like, of course you don't need to worry about it, but this particular producer will get these two scenes and he will ask me why you didn't do the third scene. And then you'll have to do the third scene. I'm sorry about that. So I said, if you, if you have time now, just go sit in the waiting room. There's nobody here. Take as much time as you need. Whenever you're ready, let us know. We'll just come back in the room. He goes out. Tannis, who was working with me at the time, Tannis's light bulb goes off and she's like, wait a minute. She realizes that the scene is really all him, you know, talking to security monitors at a building. And so he's like analyzing all the footage on the thing. So she takes the sides and she goes out to the copy machine and she blows up the sides, blows them up. We go back into the room and we pull all this furniture and we pull like chairs and apple boxes and we create somehow a bank of monitors and we tape up the entire scene so that he knows where to go to read it. And I said, come back in, we got it all rigged. He comes back in, we do the whole scene. He looks like he's looking, He's. it does not look like he's reading. He does the whole scene and he gets the part. And by the way, every story that I just told you, it was cases when they all got the part. And that's what I mean when we work in the room with people, we figure it out. But I think what's so profound about what you're saying, Deb, is that these stories illustrate that this intangible stuff that we're doing, blowing up sides, giving snacks, that is really what our job is. And that's why it's so difficult to describe and define. Right. But, you know, the thing is also we can't always explain why we know things. We have instincts about people and we cannot always articulate why, you know, so um, I worked on a movie once and, uh, with an associate that I had never worked with before. And so he didn't know me well, but he was learning about me and all my props and all that. And we were trying to find the female lead. It was an action movie. And, and we saw, I mean, a lot of ladies. We saw a lot of people. Um, but this one particular actress, when she came in for the part about midway through the process, 
She leaves the room and I turned to my associate and I said, she will get the part. And he was like, how do you know? I said, I'm just, she will get the part. We go cut to like another month or more of casting. And the producer finally calls me and says, did we miss someone? Like what? I said, you did. You did. He says, okay, have her back. Have like three people, four people back. We'll get the star to come. We'll do some chemistry reads. And so we had her come back. You know, we had people come back and she got the part. And I can try to tell you why I think, but I can't. I just, I know, do you know what I mean? Like this is happening to me now on a show. I'm trying to set the two leads of a series. And Dylan and I, we know so much who should play the male part that by accident, we actually call the part this actor's name. We mistakenly believe this actor is playing the part. I mean, you know. Well, when you have your 10,000 hours, you, you know. But you know, the thing about that is that's what really drives me crazy sometimes. It's it's not just, and this is going to sound kind of egotistical, but it's not just my opinion. It's my expert opinion. I have been doing this for a very long time. Absolutely. And and I do think something like intuition can be developed. Marion Doherty used to say that. You learn to trust it. That's kind of the headline. And then you really can, it's almost like, you know, neuroplasticity in the brain or something. You can improve that skill. Right. Well, it's like when you're working on a particular project and you're so soaked, you're so like steeped in it that back in the day when you would drive around the city and do live your life, you would see somebody in line at the post office and be like, oh my God, that guy's perfect for, these are not even actors you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? Just, you're like living in the fabric of the piece and you're trying to Solve the puzzle, as I'd like to say. Paint the canvas. Yeah. And you know what's making me laugh, Debbie, is I have like a big sign on my forehead that says, no props. And every interview I've ever done is like, I hate props. Never bring props. Take your bag of props and go. <laughs> you love props and I love that. I have boxes of props. I have guns. I have an FBI badge. I have uh, lots of different types of telephones. I have bows and arrows. I have to- a lot of toys, that toy things. Like for Hunger Games, I had a lot of bows and arrows. We went through Nerf, Nerf bows and arrows we went through. This is so funny. I'm we build sets too. I have like a zillion apple boxes. We build like, if someone has to be climbing down something, we build stairs, we build things. We do the whole thing. It's fabulous. And it's so exciting for the audience to hear the different perspectives. So so in closing, I like to ask my guests if they have a morning coffee or tea ritual. And if so, what is it? I guess I'd like to, in the real morning, like the morning morning, I like to drink water. And when I have lemons, I like to put lemon juice in it. There's very little that I don't like in terms of food and drink. I have stopped drinking coffee. I don't really know why. Oh, here's why. Because I like half and half. And I realize I don't like coffee without half and half. And I'm trying not to have so much. So I stopped drinking coffee. But I like green tea or I like water with lemon juice. Thank you so much. Good luck to you and to all the listeners. I love those stories. Thank you so much. The audience will love hearing that. Good, good, good. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode enlightening. It's really my true desire to share a unique perspective on the casting process and help you feel more confident and inspired. The podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify. For new episode updates, you can follow the show on Instagram at The Casting Session. Please feel free to share this with your friends and write a review. And tune in next week for more behind-the-scenes gold. I'm Joanna Colbert, and I'll see you at the next casting session.